0: Lord, in a world where there is so much bad news, please speak good news to our hearts today. Amen. (coughs) Often in Lent we are encouraged to give things up. My aim this week is to encourage you to take something up. The spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. These five talks are intended to help us do just that. I've called them Good News is Our Business. Yesterday, I spoke on Whose Business and showed that it's the business of all of us to be involved in spreading this good news, one way or another. Today, I want to answer the question, what is the heart of the good news? Tomorrow, I want to speak on how we can pass it on, one by one. And on Thursday, I want to explain to people how they can open up and respond to Christ in their own lives. But now, uh, what good news? <clears throat> the Christian faith has been around for a long time. It has fragmented into endless denominations. It has accommodated to countless cultures. It is beset with a great many distortions and confusions and misunderstandings. Many people believe that the Christianity they find in the churches is not good and not news. It's not news because they think they've heard it all before. It seems to be about a God who is unknown and far away, about a baby Jesus on a, in a manger or a dead Jesus on a cross. And that's not very appealing. That's not very life-enhancing. Anyhow, it, it simply isn't news. Moreover, it's not particularly good. The followers of this Jesus seem quite prone to fall out with one another. Uh, Many of them uh, seem to be hypocrites. Their Christianity seems to take the joy out of life. Their marriages don't stand any better than anybody else's. They're on the whole not more friendly, more ready to help, than those who don't go to church. Now that's how it seems to a lot of people out there in the street today. They have never been exposed to the real article, and they're fed up with the many imitations. In trying to help others into a dynamic Christian faith, we need to give some thought as to um, how it can become fresh for them, real news, and how it can be seen to be the wonderfully good thing that it is. Some years ago, I read a book about the Resurrection. It fell into the hands of a woman who wrote to me in excitement. I always thought Christianity and church was about forgiveness of sins, and that didn't excite me much. But now I realise it's something much, much more. It's relationship with Jesus, who broke the power of death and is alive forever. I'm nearly 50 years old and I've often been in church but I'd never realised this until your book came my way. This is the message that should be shouted from the churches every Sunday. Suddenly, Christianity had become news to her, and good news at that. I think we could sum up the heart of the good news in five statements, and they're all good news. Here's the first one. We Christians believe in God. This world is not a random fluke governed by chance. We are not just a bunch of atoms in suspension. This world and our own bodies and minds show all the marks of intelligent design. Whatever the rights and wrongs of uh, how God brought it into being, the world has a creator who sustains it. A creator who is involved in the existence of every person, every tree, every sunset. And though far above this world, this God is intimately involved in it, like an artist is involved in his painting, like a composer involved in his music. This God is utterly upright and just, and he is the embodiment of love. Now, this conviction of ours is supported by a number of facts. Not just hopes um, or theories, facts. First, there is the fact of this world. Nothing comes from nothing, as we very well know, and this world is a highly sophisticated something. Where did it come from? Secondly, there are all the marks of design in this world. And um, in human nature as well. Thirdly, there is personality, which is very different from dead matter. Fourthly, we have values, and they're fairly consistent across the world. Fifthly, everyone has a conscience, an interesting word, which means knowing together with. Together with who, pray? Sixthly, there is the fact that no society has ever survived without faith in the divine. They tried it in Russia from 1917 onwards. It's failed. They're trying it in um, China today, and there are more Christians than there are Communists in current-day China. And finally, seventhly, the fact of Jesus is the strongest evidence for the existence of God. Yes, the Christian belief in God is well supported, and it is very good news We are not on our own in this cosmos. Second, Christians believe in a God who speaks. He is not indifferent to our quests. The universe is not silent. The skies are not brazen. God has revealed himself in many ways. In the natural world, in human personality at its best, in history, particularly the history of Israel, and above all, in Jesus. The New Testament writers put it like this, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Now, if you turn to Islam, you find that God is very distant. He remains unknowable. He never reveals himself. He only reveals his will. And the proper response To that revealed will, found in the Quran, is Islam. Which does not mean peace, as we're told, it means submission. That's the only fitting response to the God who reveals, not himself, but his commands. How different the God revealed in the Bible. This book is all about a God who refuses to hide himself. It's about revelation. And on the basis of that revelation, we have something to pass on to other people. It is not human speculation about the divine. Our business is to pass on what God has shown of himself. Very different. Yes, we Christians believe in God. We believe in a God who speaks. And we believe in a God who rescues (coughs) Scripture and experience join in convincing us that all is not well with humankind. Our thoughts and our words, our deeds and our inclinations, even our characters, are all infected by what the Bible calls sin. The human disease of self-centeredness. We've all got it. It's very infectious. It's very dangerous. It's lethal. And try as we may, there is nothing we can do to rescue ourselves from its clutches. Like the AIDS disease, there is no lasting cure. Religious quests and moral behaviour are both admirable palliatives, but they cannot cure it. They cannot get us to God. They cannot make us fit to be in his holy presence. They cannot neutralize the virus of sin in our lives. But the amazing testimony of this book is that God has stepped in, in the person of one who shares his nature and our nature, Jesus Christ, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. If we look hard enough and long enough at that cross, We will see that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We'll see that the cross is where it happened. The cross was not the sad end of a great life. It was not that the religious mafia caught up with him at the end. It was not just to show us how much God loves us. That would be a very strange way to show how much God loved you by having your only son lacerated on a gibbet. No, the cross was the place where God once and for all took total responsibility for the mess in the whole world, for the sins of all of humankind. He burdened himself with them. They crushed him. And that is Good Friday. But that was of course not the end of the story. Death was not the final victor over the Lord of life. How could it be? Jesus was raised from the grave by the Father's power. And now he offers, as the first Christian sermon put it, forgiveness and his Holy Spirit. A clean sheet for the past. Being able to stand tall before a holy God, knowing that he has burdened himself with all the muck that gets in the way. And then his Holy Spirit to come into our lives and change them. Just think of that. A clean sheet for all your past. And the Lord's own life. His own power to remake you for the future. That's good news. This story of God to the rescue is not only the accurate meaning of the name Jesus. It is the central theme of the whole Bible. And the God who reveals Himself is the same God who rescues humankind. He is the God who can justly acquit the ungodly, as Paul dangerously puts it, because He has Himself shouldered our debts and drunk the poison of our sins to the very last dregs. We believe in a God who rescues yes and we believe in a God who gives new life he puts his spirit inside of us and that makes all the difference that makes us real Christians because as St Paul put if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ in him he's not a Christian so the Christian believer is no longer just struggling to row against the currents of life we are able to erect a sail and find the wind of the Spirit come to propel us along. We mustn't confuse the Holy Spirit with our own human spirit. The difference is very marked in Hebrew, where nefesh is the word that is normally used for our human spirit, and the life force that separates us from a corpse or from a a tailor's dummy, But Ruach, what a strong word that is. Ruach is the word regularly used for God's Spirit, which he offers to break into our existence, to offer to our hearts. It is the Spirit of Jesus himself, which he promised his followers that he would send. And when that Spirit is welcomed by you and me into our lives, things are not the same as they were before. When the Spirit comes, gradually we find a new spiritual understanding creeping over us, a new liberty in prayer, a new sense of belonging, a new power over bad habits, a new desire to tell others, a new love for Christian fellowship, a new humility and boldness and desire to learn. That is the result, gradually and variously evidenced, of the new birth which God brings about in those who convert or turn to him in repentance and faith. And when we welcome that life-giving spirit, we find that we are part of a family. That family stretches down the centuries, it stretches across the world. It embraces people of every nation and language, whose purpose in life is to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. You see, the Christianity that doesn't begin with the individual, doesn't begin. But Christianity that ends with the individual, ends. We become part of Christ's body on earth, enlivened by his spirit. And when this life is over, he'll welcome us to his eternal home. Christians believe in God, a God who speaks, a God who rescues, a God who gives new life, and finally, we believe in a God who sends. All through scripture and all through history, people who have found, or rather been found by this living, triune, redemptive God, have something to declare. They cannot keep quiet. They speak because they must. They have found treasure, and they want others to share it. The Lord loves them. The Lord gave himself for them. The least they can do is to speak with all their power to try and introduce others to him. That's what lies at the heart of evangelism. The God who says, whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And we humbly but with love and wholeheartedness say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I wonder if you'll say that and really seek to bring others tomorrow to hear more of this good news. The good news of the Gospel, of course, contains a lot more than those five things. But I submit to you that those five statements lie very near its centre. Now just think, as we close, how this good news connects with so many of the situations people find themselves in. It proclaims that there is a purpose to life. So many today sense meaninglessness in their existence. They have short-term purposes like getting a job or getting married, but they have no idea about what life as a whole is all about. The good news tells such folk that the supreme purpose in life is to know God and enjoy Him forever. This good news speaks to people who are lonely. And it says that loneliness is not necessary. Our personal circumstances may well be lonely. But the Christian has with him the Spirit of the Lord who promised I will never leave you nor forsake you. This good news has a cure for those who feel empty. And lots of people feel that way, including very often the big achievers. They have got to the top of their tree and still they feel empty. Well, the good news is that Jesus said, I have come that you may have life, life in all its fullness. And the good news offers a remedy for guilt. Often people torture themselves with false guilt. But there is such a thing as real guilt, being in the wrong with God. And the good news, of course, speaks powerfully to that, Through the cross of Christ. There is no condemnation to the person who is in Christ Jesus. The good news also offers a power to change you and me. We may be in the grip of habits, addictions that we cannot break. But Christ has all power. He can break them if you will allow him access to those very private areas of your life. That's good news because nobody else can do it. And finally, there's a home for the alienated. That's what the good news tells me. In this life, the fellowship of an unjudging and welcoming Christian community should be that home, and Advent clearly is that home in all sorts of practical ways. But at the end of life, God promises to take us to his own home. Can I believe that? Yes, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first fruits from the dead. And where there's a first fruits, there will be a main crop. Yes, that is the heart of the good news. For to every situation of mankind, it presents Jesus. And Jesus is the good news in person. Let's pass him on. Okay? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have not burdened us with endless restrictions, but have offered us wonderful good news. Brought to us by Jesus, the good news indeed is Jesus. May we love him and serve him. May we be his agents in reaching out to other people. And may we be filled with joy and gratitude that you have given such good news to rebels like us. And now may the blessing of the living God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit thrill you with this good news and send you to pass it on to others in the joy of of the Holy Spirit. Amen.